everyone. Welcome to Everyman BJJ, a weekly show covering MMA and BJJ news and training tips. Hey, Frank, we're live. Good afternoon. How are you doing? Hey, Noah, how are you? Um, hi, everyone. Welcome to uh, Everyman BJJ episode 33. 34 weeks in the calendar year. We've got episode 33, so we got to squeeze one more in so that we're current one week. Um, I'm here with my friend Noah Green, New York, Manhattan's finest, who's not in Manhattan right now. But Noah, by coincidence, we both kind of went with the red today. We went um, with the, yeah. It's rare. So, it's rare that we do that. But Well, this is, this is one of those weird shirts they had, like, location unknown – uh, fight island it took me forever to get i messaged uh customer service about six weeks after i'd ordered it and never got a response and then just one day it showed up in the mail so yeah it was quite I've quite disappointing those, I, those things, I, I ordered a i ordered a book dr caldwell estelson has a great book it's called uh, how to reverse heart disease and him and dr dean ornish had done you know, they've been doing a lot of studies with plant-based um, nutrition. And in the case of Dr. Dean Ornish, who was the former attorney, I'm sorry, he was the former um, doctor for like Newt Gingrich when he was the head of the, of the uh, I believe it was the house. Um, and then he was also the, uh, the doctor for Bill Clinton, for former president Bill Clinton. And both of those guys, plant-based nutrition, Ornish does a lot of meditation and weaves that stuff into it for like a holistic. But anyway, I, got, I ordered that book. And of course, if you order it accelerated, right? If you order it, hey, you want it in three, four days? It's like, you know, whatever. It's it's like it was something ridiculous. The book was like was like eight bucks, and then the ship it was going to be twenty if I wanted it really quick. And then I, the other option was like nine bucks. And then it it told me the book was going to come August twenty first was the estimate, and you know for like nine bucks. And then I'm like, okay, I'll just do it just I won't pay for shipping right and they shipped and they're like August 21st is, is going to be when it will be there and it got there like in literally like four days so go figure like you know not paying it's it's that rare time where it actually works in your favor yeah. and I, I think Noah you know this better than I do I think that they they give that estimate almost for customer expectation so that it's usually a lot longer that estimate's usually a lot longer than it's probably going to arrive right so that they this is through Amazon this was through Amazon, yeah. Yeah, you know, Amazon, you know, what they want to do is they, a big part of what they're trying to do is to exceed your expectations. And, you know, that expectation, they're, they're going right after, you know, that's why they build these massive warehouses uh, very in, in cities so that they're cutting, they're cutting the shipping time. Uh, you know, a lot of what they're doing is, is to, cut that shipping time, but then also anticipate what you want more so. Um, but I wanted to go back a little bit, just back a step a little bit. And, you know, this about the T-shirt, and I was, I was having a little bit of uh, some uh, ruminations about, about, uh, about the shirt. And I think, well, this is, I bought it through the UFC store. And I know that, I know that um, Dana White, excuse me real quick, I'll let the cat, I know that Dana White said before, you know, he's like, uh, having a t-shirt business is, you know, it's a dumb thing. He, he doesn't care for it. However, he said, he said that to me verbatim face to face. 
However, I would say this, as you do one thing, you do all things. And at, at least, at least if you're going to, if you're going to hold yourself out and you're going to sell those t-shirts, do that just as good as you put on your productions. Do whatever you, as you do one thing, you do all things. And um, there's, an, there's a topic that I fought kind of am into, which is, it's very annoying, <laughs> you know, things that annoy you. And to me, if you're going to be in business and you're going to provide that service, then I want you to, you know, like, like you'll see, hey, they put on, they, they put on, they put on fights. And I understand they do it really well. Um, it's kind of like, you know, I went flying. You know, when you fly, you're, you're in flights. I had a flight attendant tell me once, we're a transportation company. We're not a restaurant. So don't expect, you know, good food on a plane. And I thought about that. And I'm like, on one hand, you know, I'm not going to, per se, I'm not going to uh, Le Bernardine um, for trap for transportation. Um, and, you know, these fine, you know, Michelin, Michelin guide, uh, five-star restaurants, I don't expect that experience on an airplane. I don't. Because that's a transportation company. But as you do one thing, you do all things. And transportation, yeah, we got there. You know, I got to that destination. All right. And but I do think that if they're going to be in the business and they're going to offer something, then you should do your best as much as well as if you're going to offer that, do that as the best you can. It's like that's an that's an annoying thing to me. I, you know, um, you and I have a topic today uh, to talk about jujitsu topic today. But you know, I do think you know that that old saying: as you do one thing, you do all things. Well, that, and that, for the UFC, I... if you're going to if you're going to sell T-shirts, like, at least respond to repeated email messages to customer service saying, "Where's my product? Where's my product?" It says. You took my money. You took my money six weeks ago. You know, there's and to do that, it doesn't take much to set up a uh, an automatic. Uh, you know, there's there's software out there today for chat boxes. You know that. Uh, you know uh, where you have artificial intelligence that will look up your order number and provide you that information. If you email in a question, you can have a ticketing system. You know, it's got a, it's a ticket so it creates an, you know, when you email an email address, it'll create a ticket and you can have artificial intelligence. And this is like off the shelf technology from Google. Okay. And it will read the sentiment and extract information out of that email and it will route it to the right person for a response and give you a canned response of like, Hey, we received it. We'll give you a response in 48 hours. You know, something like that. It just that just kind of peeves me a little bit. You know that in in a day where if they're going to sell T-shirts, either sell it and and at least have some basic customer service, or get out of that business. Don't give don't sell me this shirt and it come after all the fights are already gone. 
like they're not going back to Yaz Island. You know, they had declared Yaz Island, had all the fights, and then here I am with this T-shirt on. Okay? It's just, it's just messed up. Yeah, I kind of like the appeal of Fight Island as much as, you know, I lived in Las Vegas for 17 years. I love, I like the appeal of, of Fight Island. I think it's a good name. It's a good theme. It's a good... I mean, if you're not going to have a crowd, right? I mean, obviously, you and I talked about this yesterday. We were talking about Joe Rogan and Joe Rogan moving to Texas. Yeah. And some of the, some of the advantages of that. And, I, you know, we were talking about Joe Rogan in the booth at UFC. Of course, he's narrowed it down. Basically, it seems like Joe can pretty much be in the booth, the UFC booth, whenever he wants, whenever he feels like it, which is very smart. He's in a, he's in a rarefied air now with his wealth, with his, with his influence, with his brand. And, um, it's, it's just, um, it's interesting because, you know, I think some of the allure for Joe Rogan, who's been doing this forever. I mean, he was doing it, Joe Rogan. This is something a lot of people don't know that Joe Rogan in the beginning was doing UFCs for free. He wasn't making any money. They didn't have money to pay him. They were so in debt. They were so in the hole that Joe did it for free. And that always carried a lot of weight with Dana White and with Lorenzo and Frank Petita. The fact that he was, you know, he was out there in front. He was, he loved it that much. So he's pretty much, as my brother would say, my, you know, we would say in Baltimore street certified, right? Um, he's, he's street certified, right? He's, he's grandfathered in. Um, but there is, it's definitely different calling a fight when there's 16,000, 17,000 people in the arena and when there's 200 people, and as what we saw a few weeks ago with Dan Hardy, who I've trained with, Dan Hardy and Herb Dean, where the referee can hear what the commentator is saying, and the commentator can actually kind of yell something, stop the fight to the ref and, and everything. It's this big echo chamber where everybody can hear everything. And there's something, that is not to say, Noah, there is something to be said for fights where there are only where it's that intimate and there's only a hundred people in there. If you are live in there, it has its own advantages because you can sort of hear the fighters breathing. You can hear every kick, every thump kicks that seem innocuous and don't seem like a big deal when there's 16,000 people in there because you can't hear that kick or you can't hear that the, the, a kick got checked. Well, you can hear it. So it's much more visceral and much more primal experience when you're there um when you're there and it's small and and you feel you know you have the advantage of feeling like you're exclusive you're allowed to be there you're one of the few there but as a commentator and even as a fan i was telling you about anderson silva chael sonnen one which was in northern california and chael sonnen was a huge underdog going into that fight and talked a lot of smack and everybody was fairly certain that Anderson Silva was going to shut him up and make him pay. And then mm -hmm. round by round by round, uh, Chael Sonnen is taking Anderson Silva down and holding him down. And then it became this suspense of simultaneously watching the clock. And you could feel, so the crowd wasn't in a frenzy in that fight. It was actually the opposite. That was what was unique about it. There's like 14, 15,000 people in that arena watching Chael and Anderson, watching what's going on, disbelief. And it was so hush quiet that it was so remarkable. It was like, because even though it was quiet in there, right. And, and there was this collective disbelief and there was this, and as around by round, it was like, 
is Chael Sonnen going to be able to do this? Are we really watching this? Is this real? And you could collectively feel that. And, and that, and that's pretty amazing when you can get that or, or the opposite. Like when, when um, I was there, when Roy Jones got knocked out by Antonio Tarver back when Roy Jones was considered invincible and Antonio Tarver in the rematch told him, you're not going to, you know, he said when they, when they, when they went to the referee at the beginning of the fight, he said, um, you know, the referee said, you guys have any, you know, here's your instructions, blah, 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 blah. Any questions? And Antonio Tarver famously said to Roy Jones, yeah, you have any, you, you're going to, you're going to have any excuses after this one, Roy, and then proceeded to knock Roy Jones out. Stiff, fell stiff as a statue. LeBron James was five feet away from me, all iced out and white. And the crowd, what you feel there, you cannot, this is what I always say to Noah with fighting. It's not every fight. Every fight is not worth watching. Every fight is not worth your time. Every fight is not interesting. There are snoozers. There are boring fights. It's 15% of the fights that keep you addicted for a long time. Yeah. It's those special uh-huh, fights. Uh-huh. It's those special moments. It's those draw droppers. It's those things that make Joe Rogan say, unbelievable, unbelievable, his favorite word in the, in the English language. And that is what I'm saying. Like for Joe Rogan, with the rarefied air that he's operating in now with the big deal they just did with Spotify. It's like, Hey bro, like get some, get some butts in the stands, you know, for a guy like that to really, I would imagine to really enjoy it, you know, get 15,000 people in there. And a lot of times in the fight business, um, cause remember I always say my, my favorite moments when I worked for UFC, as much as I love watching the fights, my favorite moments were backstage behind the scenes in the fighters locker rooms and and dressing rooms before the fight and feeling the energy feeling the fear feeling the you know the, the all that cascade of emotions and the fight before the fight like before the walkouts like oh my gosh and especially when a fight like what we just saw last night with the kid uh sean o'malley fighting marlon vera you know cheeto vera you and i had discussed i mean um there's a lot of anticipation around that fight because because Sean O'Malley, you know, Dana and a lot of other people from the rooftops are telling us this kid's the next great thing. He's got the it factor. He's special. And you and I were talking. We've seen this story before. I mean, usually it seems that when more often than not, that when a fighter is hyped up like this, there's only one way to go and down. Unless your name is John Jones or Anderson Silva or, you know, Demetrius Johnson in his prime or Khabib Nurmagomedov, there are very few when the hype gets to that level that quick. I mean, this kid really, look, Sean O'Malley is fun to watch. He's got, he, he throws some pretty punches. He's dynamic. He likes to knock people out. He's colorful. You know, he kind of looks like the boy next door, kind of, you know, he looks like a kind of a kid you grew up with skateboarding. He's a cool kid. But Bro, the hype was way out. You know, you and I, the hype was just way overboard. Like kind of like Sage Northcutt and and even you know Paige uh, Van Zant and just on and on. You know, and even even Ronda Rousey. I mean, we got ahead of ourselves. I said <laughs> we got ahead as 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 trailblazing and pioneering as Ronda Rousey was. We were ahead of ourselves in anointing her. Like people were talking about her, like she was unbeatable, invincible. She was amazing. But she was never unbeatable. She never was invincible. She was way too one-dimensional. People were talking about her striking and saying, oh, now she strikes. She's got pro boxer hands now, and her hands are so – and it's like, no. As somebody who's watched boxing for a long time, like, 
she's punching better than she did. She's punching with more power, but she ain't, she got a long ways to go to be like a, you know, really good striker, high grade. No, come on. So in any event, you know, you and I were on, we're on tornado watch yesterday. I'm like, dude, I got a feeling. Yeah. I had this feeling before. I got a feeling this guy Cheeto Vera is going to bust the hype bubble. And, uh, and, and I thought he'd do it quick. And what's interesting though. So it's interesting. It's interesting how fights get handicapped. You know, you look at the odds because this is what could trick the public on that fight. Um, going into it, Cheeto Vera. So Sean O'Malley is 12 and 0 and all you see on him, he's got the eight knockouts, one or two submissions. And all you see, if you, if, if all you know about Sean O'Malley is all the superlatives everybody says about him and all the knockout reels you see, and that's all you have in your mind. You're thinking, you're thinking, I'm talking about casual fan who sees this is thinking, wow, the second coming of Conor McGregor, right? A lighter version. That's people were thinking he's even got the chest tattoo, right? He's even got the chest tattoo there. Um, so, wow. If you don't know any better, second coming of Conor McGregor, he's got the death touch. And so then you're looking at Cheeto Vera and you're seeing, Hey, you look at his record. He's six. I think he's 15 and six, something like that. I think he's 15 wins, six losses, something like 16 and five or 15 and six. Okay. So, you're looking at Cheeto Barrett. Automatically, you see this discrepancy: twelve and zero, right? Twelve and zero, O'Malley. Fifteen and six, Cheeto Vera could be sixteen and five. I think it's fifteen and six. So you're seeing that, and you're seeing the highlight reels. You're like, wow, this guy is being sent to the slaughterhouse, right? Cheeto Vera's got no chance. And but when you take a closer look, this is what I did, and this is this is how I added up the calculus in my head and said, wow. This is a spot where I think that this kid's a great candidate to pull this upset. I think I think we're probably going to see an upset. And the reason that did it is I looked at his record and I said, okay, he's 15 and 6, but he had Jordan's with us now. Yeah. What's up, Jordan? So he, he's What's 15 up, and 6. Cheeto Vera was 15 yeah, and 6. Yeah, you're good. He had he had I'm all black. He had won five in a row. Okay. He'd won five in a row. And then he fought a Korean guy who trains out of Team Alpha Male, I believe. And he, and, he, and, he, and he beats the Korean guy. Everybody who sees the fight, who knows anything about fighting, says that Cheeto Vera won that fight. And it should have been unanimous. Guess what the judges do to him? The judges rob him. Blatant, blatant, you know, nothing new about it. The judges rob Cheeto Vera. So Cheeto Vera, so to the, to the, to the regular public, you're thinking, Cheeto Vera had won five in a row. He's a finisher, but he lost his last fight, right? But if you watch the fight, you're like, oh, no, he didn't lose that fight. He won the fight. So Cheeto yeah, Vera. Yeah, I do remember seeing that. Yes. So Cheeto I Vera do remember seeing that. Yeah. the fight having won six in a row rather than lost one, which people think, right? So Cheeto Vera had actually won six in a row. He finished five of them. He fought the better competition over Vera and and – and, and he's never been finished. So when you look at the matchup, you're thinking, well, this kid O'Malley knocks people out, but Vera doesn't get knocked out. Vera is durable. He's got the chin, kind of like a Diaz brother. So I'm thinking, all right, I don't think O'Malley's going to be able to knock him out. He's a finisher himself, this kid Vera, right? He's got the better ground game. He's a black belt in jiu-jitsu. And the icing on the cake for me was the stare down. And when O'Malley wore, he dyed his hair in the colors of the Ecuadorian flag. Now, if you know anything about fighting, I'm just I'm just saying this, and people are going to say it's crazy, whatever. But there are just everybody says, you know, you can't motivate your opponent anymore. Like, you know what? 
I can talk crap to my opponents because they're going to train hard anyway, right? And 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 I would say that you can do things to your opponent to make your opponent dig even deeper in the training camp than they would. Most people, you can say things, you can insult their kids, you could do things. Ali in, in one of his fights was who was it? Was it with Sonny Liston or whatever? What's my name? Punish the guy even worse, right? It made it worse on him. So the notion that you can do things, there are lines you don't cross. And when you do, you give even extra motivation to a guy who's already hungry, who's already a finisher, who's already durable, who's already a tough matchup for you. Now you want to wear Ecuadorian flags on your head. I was like, oh my God, this 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 Cheeto guy is going to really be on fire. Then, then the other thing, final thing, Cheeto Vera being robbed in that last fight. And he talked about this on Ariel Hawani's show. He said, the judges got it wrong. Ariel said the judges got it wrong. Anybody who watched that fight and knows anything about fighting know that, that Vera got robbed. Vera was so pissed, and you could see him pissed. And he was like, look, not only does that affect what I'm trying to do to win a title, but I got half the money. I got half the money I was going to get. And you guys know now. I mean, you know, you're a fighter. You got to stash away money. You don't know. You you got to stash away money for a rainy day. You get hurt, whatever. So when you don't get half your check, maybe the UFC made good on that. I don't know. But as of that time when he was on there, they didn't. So I was thinking, man, this guy is being disrespected. He's being counted out. He got robbed his last fight. Dude, let me tell you what. If you're a real man and you want something and you're and you're like that and, and the judges are robbing you and you're not getting half your paycheck and everybody's telling you how O'Malley's going to crush you and O'Malley's wearing Ecuadorian flags, bro. However, I knew this. However good Cheeto Vera was before when he won six in a row, he's going to be even better, a lot better because he's pissed. And he looked to me like a guy that when he's pissed is going to bring a lot more. And that's what happened. Jordan, what, what were your thoughts? Let me ask you this, Frank. Do you think that fight would have played out if Sean had not trip on his foot and injure his foot? I didn't, I didn't see that, but um, I did see him writhing in pain about that. But, I mean, we, we'll, we're never going to know. Maybe they'll do a rematch. You know, I think Cheeto Vera is going to be a tough matchup for him. I, I, Cheeto Vera gets hit a lot. Now, Cheeto Vera is very hittable. I think when the matchmakers made the fight that they thought that this is a good matchup for O'Malley. But at the same time, I think that they thought, this is just me, I'm conjecturing. I think they maybe thought if O'Malley lost to him, this guy can be built to the to the Spanish community at least. He, he's billable. This guy is a finisher, Cheeto Vera. He's colorful. He's marketable, especially to the Hispanic fight fans out there. Uh, I didn't see what, – what, what's your what's your opinion on that? I, I don't know. I think the guy it would be a handful for O'Malley. Anyway, was, was he getting – was O'Malley cleaning his clock before the before the uh, foot? O'Malley was not cleaning his clock before. It happened very early on in the fight, though. But um, And I have to speak very lightly because Chito is one of my training partners. And I've trained with Chito before. Um. Chito, like me and Chito, Chito's came to 10th Planet Las Vegas. Casey used to coach Chito. Um, so Chito used to be one of my training partners. I've trained with him for like two weeks or something like that. Um, I did not expect Chito to win this fight, and I like Chito. I yep. just think styles, style-wise, I think that O'Malley had a better chance of winning that fight if he did not injure his foot. I, In my personal opinion, I feel like O'Malley kind of kind of almost beat himself, man. He tripped on his foot and you could see it on his face right away. He had a mm. he had 
whether it was an actual injury or not, whether he actually had something torn in his leg, he reacted like it was an actual injury. You know what I mean? So that's going to be the next special speculation because he got his well. Let, 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 let's with, let's um, see the news on that injury, right? You're exactly. right, Jordan. Yes. Let's, so we got, let's see the news we got, on that injury. Got injured. I, don't, I don't know if you've been following Sean, but I've been following Sean super close to his career. And he got uh, injured when he was fighting a guy named Sukumanta. I don't know if you guys remember his that. Knee. His last name was Sukumanta. Yeah, his knee. I remember his uh, knee. And, and he's laying on his back yeah, when Rogan he, interviews he him. Hurt his knee. He hurt his leg. And he was saying that it was fractured. It was fractured. It was broken. And then I'm pretty sure I'm. you guys got to fact check me, but I'm like 95% sure I just have a bad memory. That's why I can't say 100%. <laughs> but I'm like 95% sure that his foot was not in, like, didn't have like a break or like an actual really, really bad injury. You know what I mean? So a bunch of people were like, oh man, like, why are you, you were acting like you were seriously hurt, dude? And it wasn't even like a, a real injury, you know? Like it was, it was a quick recovery time. It wasn't, a, it wasn't as bad of an injury as he was saying it was. And so, yeah, we're going to have to see how bad of this ankle sprain it was. If he just rolled his ankle and it was just a normal little ankle sprain then he should have been able to keep fighting. Fighters fight through torn ACLs and PCLs and all sorts of crazy predicaments. That guy almost beat John Jones with the torn ACL, PCL, LCL, all that stuff. Whoever that, I forgot. A AJ, AJ, AJ Argazarm just fought with the, tore his ACL in Bellator. He lost the fight, but he fought oh, that was a lot hilarious. of that fight. Javier Vasquez fought with, with the torn ACL in the fight. Miguel exactly. Torres fought with a torn ACL, finished the fight. Heather Joe Clark has fought with a torn torn ACL. Uh, you know, it, exactly. there's been exactly. there's been. Uh, so we're gonna have to we're gonna have to see his injury and see see how bad he was actually injured, and then and then go from there. But but whatever whatever happened to him in his head, it hurt him. It sent a bunch of pain receptors to his head, whether it was a real injury or not. You could see it on his face; he was hurting. So, yeah. Gosh, well, guys. You, you know, I, I'm hearing all this, and, and lately I've had my head tucked into into um, non-UFC, non-jujitsu, non-fighting, non-MMA stuff. So I, I'm hearing all this news, and I'm like, wow, I've really been out of it lately. You know, I, I'm teaching myself, you know, how to how to do some data science. So um, that's, this is pretty cool to hear all this, um, and that's really cool that you uh, train with him. Was it was that in the last year or two you trained with Chito, Jordan? Two years ago, I'd say. Two years. All ago. right, all right. Um, yeah, I, you know, I, I think that it's um, yeah. What you were talking about, Frank, with with. Uh, the insulting behavior of uh, Sugar Sean, you know, I mean, I obviously uh, Cheeto's not going to go in there and just give up, you know, oh, I'm mad and I'm suddenly better now just because I'm mad. I don't know if he plays, like, if he fights like that, but uh, um, yeah, I, it's obviously that was probably a marketing train. What I have been doing, I'm going to, I'm going to twist this a little bit. In, in honor of my Fight Island shirt, um, with my family, we've been watching a lot of Survivor, uh, you know, CBS show Survivor. And and so my head has been in that space where, you know, that those kind of competitions and those tribal competitions. And it's you, you, me seeing jujitsu and watching, you know, watching Survivor 
has been kind of fun to, you know, because of the cunning behavior that goes on. And, you know, then you start thinking about, you know, I start seeing that and I start thinking about like in fight camps, all the nonsense that goes on in fight camps leading up to these fights, you know, a lot of the, you know, is there any like spying going on? Is there any, you know, misinformation that's being put out there? Was that, you know, and, and then how the promotions uh, spin events outside of the octagon and, and, and how they, you know, play up things kind of like Don King uh, did, you know, I was on a little story. Uh, I was on a vacation in Cancun once and uh, I don't, I don't remember which fight, who the fighters were, uh, but there was a brawl in the hotel lobby and I walked downstairs and it was Don King, Don King in the flesh. And I could have swore it was like a very controversial fighter of that day, Riddick Bo. Um, but anyways, this is my first time to ever see something like that, a, a spectacle uh, um, of that. And I wonder how much um, the UFC is becoming with, you know, are they starting to mimic a little bit of the promoters of boxing? Are they taking on any of those tactics? Um and you know how much Dana's sure. influence is, where you know he's a found like a founder. You know, he, you know he's been with the promotion for so long. What would a what would a UFC look like without a Dana White? One day, you know, um, I just I want to throw out there because you know in my business training we always look at succession planning, and one of the big risks. If I were sitting back and I was an investor in the UFC, I would be concerned with now I know that the UFC here in Las Vegas has over 300 employees. So the UFC is not just solely Dana White. However, he's a strong, he, he, he is the brand. He makes the organization. So I want to say, um, you know, you know, just like we've got to contemplate, um, Joe Rogan leaving the announcer's booth of the UFC um, at some point, increasingly. Um, how would the UFC look without Dana White? You know, for any number of reasons. You know, any number of reasons. Um, so, um, you know, that's something to contemplate because eventually, you know, uh, you know, people retire or or life events occur that takes them out of that. So I'm going to just throw a twist out there real time with you guys. You know, what would, uh, what, what do you think would, what would happen to the UFC? How would they step up with a strong, you know, with a, with a succession plan? Do you know anything about this from your insights, Frank, or Jordan, you have any ideas? I know that when the UFC sold, um, you know, when they sold to, Endeavor and other investors that one of the, I believe I'm correct on, I believe that, that one of the conditions was Dana White has to stay on as president. He can't. Okay. He's a key man. Yeah. That's a key man clause, but let's just say he did not. Let's just say he, he he suffers from some uh, disease 
Right. So, and, so and, what I'm saying, what I'm, yeah, I, I'm heading, I'm heading to answer your question. But so first thing I'm saying is, they obviously are aware of that, that he is, as you say, a key figure, and that he's a big part of the brand. I think what's interesting right now is everything that's going on in the world, with the world being flipped on its head with COVID nineteen and all of the, you know, uh, everything going on around that, that. They're, the UFC is clearly leaning on Dana White a lot more now. I mean, they yeah. just lean on in different in different cycles of their business. They've leaned heavier on Dana, and then they haven't. And then they they've always used him a lot. He's always been a key figure, but at different times they've leaned on him even more. They're leaning on him a lot. Even if you watch his breakdowns before the fight, and he has the whiteboard, and he goes there and he does a good job, and he's like, "This fight here could be fight of the night." Like he's doing it with more enthusiasm than I've ever seen him do. And I think it's because he knows like he realizes and I think they realize he has to be a salesman. He has to sell fights even more now because the money is down. The live gate is down. There's a lot more challenges. Some of the big names are thinking it doesn't make sense for me right now to fight because the money's not where, you know, the UFC is not making as much money. And yeah. so They've got to have, they, they, you know, they had a really good card last night, by the way, and they've done some really good cards. They've had some really good fights in 2020, and there's nobody's complaining about that. They've had really good fights. Their brand is strong. I love the UFC potential over the next five, 10 years. I love it. I think that these kind of conditions, I think the UFC is adapting and will continue to adapt. And I think that in the long game, I think they're going to, that they're going to come out better than, than the vast majority of sports league. That's another conversation. So I, I'm bullish on UFC now and long term. I think they're adapting well, but the as reality, a brand, yeah. The reality is, we're not seeing. You know, if if COVID had never happened, we probably would have seen even bigger name fights by now this year. We probably, you know, Connor sure. might have fought. Connor might have fought another time. He might have even fought it two, two more times this year. But 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 my point is, it seems to my eye that they're leaning on Dana White more. Um, you know, Dana is everywhere. He, he, he's ubiquitous now. What's life going to look like without him? If I was an investor, I mean, I want I want Dana White around. I mean, he is that brand. Like when you think of the brand, and I say this, like the Fertitta brothers, it doesn't happen without their investment. It doesn't happen without the fighters bleeding and the, and the fighters stepping up and the fighters training and fighting when there wasn't spilling their blood, when there wasn't a lot of money to be made. You know, when there was a lot of uncertainty for the fighters, right? So you've got sure. the, the, the Fertitta brothers as visionaries taking a risk, losing money. You've got the fighters spilling their blood. You've got the fans who people thought were crazy, those diehard fans who helped put in the map. But, dude, Dana White is, I mean, whether it's unfair or not, if you just think of this brand, right, as much as there have been some awesome fighters and fighters we love and fighters we respect, if you just think of the face of this brand really over the over its – 18 year period i mean you're probably gonna you're probably gonna say dana white whether people like him or not absolutely you're you're gonna say dana white dana white is the face of this and 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 he is he is inimitable he's not he's not replaceable life life can go on okay this is well, one this is this is one more scenario i got something to say i got something to say about all this though yeah this and is that's the one thing yeah if, this is the thing the UFC that concerns me about the UFC. Okay, I love the UFC. This is the thing that concerns me longer term. Right now, the UFC is a US-owned company. If the, the original investors, right, 
So I don't know what the valuation is. You're a guy I, I would like to ask you, Noah. I mean, we can ask you this. You can answer it later in the broadcast. Maybe you don't know. But your best guess is to an evaluation. I'm going to assume that the original deal was for $4 billion when they sold. I was told later that when the Fertitas checked out all their money, the valuation had went to $5 billion. So it's probably, I think, even amid all this, I think it's more than a $5 billion brand because it has the ESPN partnership, which probably boosted it anyway. The question is, at what point does the investor, do the investors turn around and flip this thing and say, we doubled our money or whatever, or we made $3 billion or whatever, and then who become the bidders? Foreign entities, do who, who become the bidders? That could change the whole dynamic of this whole thing if you get an, a foreign investor and who says, okay, I want to do it my way and I don't want as many of these Amer Americans around or something. Yeah, what if the shake... What if the Sheikh of Dubai, you know, steps up? You know, he loves jujitsu with Enzo. But well, you know, my he point. Was a, he was a ten percent. He was a ten percent yeah, investor was, on the original sale. Sure. He probably has golf. a piece now. Pro probably has a piece now. Probably. So I'm just going to throw out there. You know, you know, while it looks, you know, this is like one of those things where, uh, I'm, I'm uh, Jordan. You weren't here earlier. I was complaining about my customer service experience. Uh, with my shirt, my UFC store purchase, you know, with this fight island. Um, but it, it had, I had been ruminating a bit about, you know, this is like the time when you, whenever, when you see a situation like this, a company, and I'm just thinking, I'm just going to be, what I'm trying to be here is, uh, it's just a little critical thinking, a little bit of just like, looking at it outside of a fan perspective, but as a fan, because I would hate for the brand to be damaged, but you're looking at it and, you know, they've, they're a great promotion. They don't, they, they don't stack their cards with only one person. You know, they've learned that lesson of like, Oh, you know, such and such is good, might get hurt in training. They might have COVID, and that and so that whole fight card will collapse. They've learned to not do that. All right, but as a company, they're not doing that. They're not doing unto themselves as they produce their fight fight cards. And that's my example. I'm showing by you know that's another example. I'm showing of like how um, you know what they're. As you do one thing, you do all things. They're only doing one thing really well, and that's putting on putting on a great show. But managing the company itself, I would be concerned if I were an investor and, you know, how they do other parts of their business, like succession okay, let, planning. Let, let, let me ask you this. So, yeah. you know, the, the, UFC, the UFC and boxing and WWE have been the kings of pay-per-view, right? Hardly anybody else has really been able to make their money in pay-per-view space. The exception, the outliers, is you you know UFC, professional boxing, and um, and WWE, right? So they're for really, pay per view, pay per view. Yeah, and, and maybe right. maybe there's something out there like porn or something that does pay per view too, right? But but for for modern sports, they do they're they're the titans of that, and their business model. A lot of the UFC's core model before was a pay per view model. Now there's been a there's that's changed some. They're still a pay per view company. But that has changed some with the onset of the ESPN deal because now cards that might have been a pay-per-view are put on ESPN 
quite a few of those fights are free. Some of that's you know ESPN premium package, whatever. But now, when when you look at at, at that model, imagine this. Imagine if you know if you're if you're in the pay per view business, you're a partner with say Direct TV, right? And so Direct TV's got all the apparatus you need, and they can flip that switch. And guess what? You do all the work, you take all the risk, you risk all the money, and I get half. I get half. That's Direct Direct TV's got such a big platform that they can say, "Hey, bro, we set this up. We have the distribution. We have the apparatus. If you want a pay per view, you got to come through us." And the split. Okay, it could be a little different, but it's roughly, roughly the last I knew, the last I knew, roughly a 50% split. Now, here's the curveball, and I'm sure people at UFC have been working on this for years. They've never found the end around, right? They've tried UFC Fight Pass. The end around is, hey, if if we are the UFC and we say, listen, we're looking at our budget sheet. We're saying, you know, we're worth, let's just say we're worth $6 billion. Our valuation is we're worth $6 billion, so we're worth more than we were before, okay? But how do we make ourselves more valuable, more profitable? Well, what if you got rid of, I'm being hypothetical here. What if you said, you know, what if you change your direct TV split from 50% to 35%, right? You'd need leverage to do that. You'd need, what if you did a complete and said, because of the onset of technology or some other way, or you had your fans, all your fans went over to UFC, you know, fight pass or whatever. And now you don't even need the middleman, right? What I'm saying is whoever if they're ever able to solve that problem their balance their revenue sheet goes significantly up like if they're able to ever find an end around to the big pay-per-view companies right so that's one way for them to make well well then let me bring up you know what um what they did with signing that uh agreement with disney uh Match that to the deal that Joe Rogan signed with Spotify because the stock price of Spotify went up considerably on the news of that deal um, with Joe Rogan. So, I, I mean, they went up, um, I, you know, in contrast to what the the negotiated um, contract amount is with Joe Rogan, it the, the stock appreciated um, even more, you know, there was, they, they had a bump in the, in the price greater than a hundred million dollars. So, and there, because he's bringing to them a dedicated fan base of, uh, you know, a few million viewers a week. And I, and instantly I went on to Spotify. I instantly, I added Spotify to my phone. Um, so that makes sense. Now these marketing agreements, like you're saying, these platforms, uh, those agreements, you know, they look at numbers. It's a, it's a, it is like an actuarial analysis of, uh, well, within these factors, this is how much, you know, expected revenue growth you're looking at with subscription and, and paying. And, and so a lot of the valuation models, the way that works is um, it's a, what is my net present value today of funds I'm going to expect to receive in the future based upon a bunch of estimates, all right? So it's like the lifetime earning value of Jordan from his fights. What's his, you know, if I say, what's his expected earnings value? You know, and let's say today, you know, this year, you know, very weak on on promotion, so nothing. It's going to be all negative cash flow. And then next year, 
he's going to make twenty five thousand dollars on right. on on winnings, and the following year seventy five, and then hopefully year three he's making three hundred k and up. Um, so you put in these assumptions into these models, you know, and and, and so and that's kind of you know what you back that back down to today. What does that look like today? It's a future stream of cash flows. But just to, to answer your question the, from the, earlier. The, 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 there is a very intelligent aspect of the, the ESPN deal gives them more than whatever, whatever they got for it, a billion, a billion plus, whatever they got for that deal. <laughs> the ESPN deal helps them more because the ESPN deal doubles as an advertising deal, right? So not only are you getting the cash from ESPN, but you're also getting to advertise your product for whatever, the next six, seven, however many years it is. You're getting to advertise yourself on the preeminent platform out there and be in front of new eyeballs, penetrate the mainstream audience even more, legitimize your product. So it's almost like it's almost like a paid advertisement as well. It's like the ESPN's paying you, but also advertising you. So it just would seem that based on that, not only do you get the cash, but in five years after being on ESPN, you're reaching a whole new base. You get a whole new level of legitimacy. So yeah. when you start going, when you start going to evaluate, that alone probably helps you, you know, five so, years down the road. So could it be that maybe they're grooming uh, the public? I'm going to throw out this. They're grooming us for where Dana transitioned to, he's not really running the business per se, and they have a Disney executive step in. You know, I'm just throwing out. What ifs? You know, could they be? Because if they're if they make him so visible to us like that, they're grooming him for him to be there. There, there, you know, where he's got so much of that visibility to where there's they're deepening the bench of the executives of the company, and those executives are gaining power internally because Dana's spending more time I, 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 marketing. I, I, this is my own opinion, and I could be wrong. It's only my opinion, um, and I have it seen dana in a number of years uh-huh. um but i think dana white is gone the moment it's not fun and the moment he's being told a lot a lot a lot or attempted to be told a lot a lot a lot of what to do of what can't say tone it down you know that's the thing that's the double-edged sword of getting bigger and you know that that's the that's the double-edged sword right you get bigger and as you get bigger you become more corporate Right. And you become more tighter right. and you become more like the NFL and your commissioner. Well, that's the model. I, I like that's the, the model I see like the NBA commercial. Yeah. So, so the thing, the, the, the thing is, um, that's the model I, mean, I see, Frank, I see, yeah. I see the UFC going the way of, you know, where they start to legitimize. And I said, let me use another word than legitimize to normalize themselves more in accordance with how uh, the other three three letter uh, sports well, let, let me, teams let, operate. Let, let me suggest one thing, and this is a fascinating phenomenon that I'm about to mention. And it's like because you know Dana is relative to every other commissioner out there, right? Everybody, every other commissioner, every other promoter. Dana is the most colorful. He's the most controversial. He's the most blunt. He's the most, you know, he uses the most expletives. He's probably, you know, he's made, he's got a lot of people that love him, love him. And he's got, he's made some enemies, right? He's made his share of enemies. He's got a lot of people who say 
bad things that ever mad, whatever. So the interesting thing about Dana and Joe Rogan falls in this category. And I've seen celebrities. There are some people and I don't want to use the word untouchable, but there are some people who the public just says, well, bro, he, he's, he gets a pass. And it's not because they're rich. It's not because it's almost because people sort of expect that from him. In other words, if, if, if Dana was a politician, he couldn't get away with some of the things he said. If he was a, if he was selling Chef Boyardee or cars, he couldn't get away with what he says. But because he's a fight promoter, you can get away. People cut you more slack. And you can get Joe Rogan gets away with things that would get most people. And I love Joe Rogan, right? But Joe's Joe's able to be blunt, and some comedians are able to be blunt at a level that will get most people fired tomorrow from their jobs, right? Like yeah. you just can't say those things. And Dana White has said things like that throughout his career. He's been blunt. He's been you know, forthright. Some people would say controversial. Joe Rogan has tackled topics and, and said things in front of microphones where he's just telling it like it is. He's speaking his truth. He's being blunt. And I think it's a beautiful thing when people are blunt and they're candid, right? But it gets a lot of people in trouble. 99% of people and celebrities, if they were to say the same things, would get themselves in hot water and have to issue an apology through their attorney. We don't see yeah. Dana, Dana White. If you attack Dana White on his social media he comes after you. Imagine Roger Goodell really? coming after you and calling you a dork and calling yeah, you whatever, was. calling you a loser. But I'm, you know, I'm, I've been listening, you know, since always, Frank, you're, you know, you're broadening my horizons uh, and bringing in uh, NFL references, which I, I, I tuned out NFL for a long time now. Um, yeah, so I, I picked up an, either. I picked up an audio book that is, um, I just pulled it up, is 21 hours, 19 minutes. And the name of it, the title of the book is Belichick. You know, and, and I, I, I am uh, I'm seven hours into it already. And and so, you know, I mean, I, it's just I'm throwing out, I'm throwing out here, you know, this conversation about uh, secession uh, planning with the UFC. Um could we ever see Joe Rogan running the UFC, you know, in in, pl in place of Dana White? I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna say something, and this is crazy because I, I just, you right here. The best listen. There's no way to replace Dana White, but if you did replace him, Henzo Gracie, your guy, your Henzo yes, Academy, Henzo Gracie is the uh, is the best potential replace. Now, again, there is no replacing Dana White. Well, but yeah, this is just were, a different if look. You going to, if you were going to, you a colorful guy. Like again, I'm talking about for my Henzo. I'm not, speaking about, I'm not speaking about Walt Disney decisions. I'm saying for my money. Yeah, colorful. now the that would be is, fun to have Henzo at the UFC. But Noah, you saw this. You know, you, you saw the story recently where you know some negative stuff had been written about Henzo and things that he. Oh said. yeah, and so. There, this is the thing, man. I don't know how anybody can be a leader anywhere anymore because everybody has said something that they put their foot in their mouth and has some opinion that half the country doesn't agree with. And we're getting in this now. We're getting in this ticky tacky thing in society where you're you're supposed to be a choir boy or a saint, or you can't you you can't have a job. It's 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 insane. We're getting into this insane territory where. Um, Look at our you know, president, my friend. Yeah, you um, gotta be as plain as water and oatmeal. That's as plain as you gotta be. You know, in fact, I got. I, I do need to raise this issue with you guys, uh, just on a professional matter, um, on the podcast. There may be a point 
in the near term, um, just because of uh, some of my employment op- options I'm looking at, that I'm going to have to bug out of social media um, because um, I, I post stuff, po- political stuff on my personal Twitter, uh, tw- Twitter account. And um, I may have to reconsider, you know, some of that stuff I, I, just because of, uh, you know, I, I, I'll just say I've been looking at jobs with the federal government and you can't really say certain things about the fed- you can't criticize certain th- parts about the federal government or politicians if you're going to work for them. So I'll just say that much to, you know, just to forewarn you guys that um, uh, should things go in, a, in that direction, I may have to curtail some of my social media uh, bonanza. Um, but anyways, I, I, sorry to take up so much time about this Dana White uh, thought process. But, you know, if we want to, you know, things are going well. And I learned in banking, whenever things are going well, that's the best time. You know, let me say this. When you're sitting down you're eating steak, that's when you need to be start thinking about eating beans and rice. When it's going, when you're, when you're, when things are going well, you need to step back and go, all right, let's prepare for a hurricane. Let's prepare for an earthquake. Let's prepare for a pandemic. That's, you know, when things are going well for you. And and I believe for the UFC, things are going well for them. What was that? It's all right. I just accidentally dropped something. Uh, um, things are going well. Whenever things are, you know, when you have sunshine, that's a good time to step back and go, all right, what can go wrong? Let's play uh, red team. You know, let's, let's see how that we can break this thing. And for me, I see a risk there with the UFC, the beloved UFC of secession planning. We don't have another figurehead quite like, you know, and I kind of see like, you know, as Joe Rogan's starting to slowly step back and back and back, He's stepping away from the UFC. He's stepping away from that core, you know, that that core of, of the beginning of what was UFC. People are stepping away. People are slowly stepping away. It's drifting naturally. It's naturally happening. But that's what I'm saying. That's when, you know, we should be talking about this kind of stuff. Well, what would happen? How, how would Bellator respond? I know nothing about Bellator other than, my jujitsu coach Neiman and Hobson filial uh, uh, fight um, under that promotion. Um, you know, would no. would would um, Bellator would, would Bellator score a coup by bringing over Joe Rogan? You know, or you know something I, wacky. I don't think, yeah, I don't think I'm just throwing I, out I crazy that, ideas. Yeah. Um, I don't think that would. I mean, the thing is, like you and I were talking about with Rogan, you get to a space where, you know, like I said, at at the core of Joe Rogan, what I see is a philosopher and a truth seeker. I think he's just a a true truth seeker. Yeah. I I think he wants to get in front of the microphone and speak truth and go down rabbit holes and say things that people are afraid to say. That's the comedians are like that, too. They want to find a way to talk about things that are taboo or that you know or mythology or they want to punch holes and things he's that guy and so to be able to be that guy to the fullest and best right i don't think joe's content i think joe wants to continue to put on a better show be a better interviewer bring in better guests go deeper and 
what do you do when you're an ambassador, let's say for a major brand like UFC, and you're sitting there having these blunt interviews, three hour long, you're drinking a beer, you're whatever, they're smoking pot, whatever it is they're doing. And then you, you say some things that ruffle feathers in the corporate community. And it's like, then you may feel like you're like, how do you reconcile that? Right. How do you reconcile your podcast with the other demands and the, the corporate culture? And, and that's, that's very tricky. Most people cannot navigate that. So I just, I think of that as sort of in the background, not to mention all the travel and nobody talks about this, but if you're going to fights all, you know, as much as all of us love fights, the fight season, it's not even like NFL or NHL or NBA that fight season is 12 months out of the calendar year, right? It's not six months like hockey or, you know, it's not NFL where there's a core season that's five months or whatever, but you know, five, five and a half months. I mean, you know, UFC pretty much is almost a fight every week. It seems like so, you know, you've been doing this as long as Joe Rogan has, and you've been loving it as long as I have. You you still love it. It's still incredible. But there are other things in life, too. He can sit in his basement and reach a 2 million, 3 million people from his basement. You know, get up and shower and make whatever his his elk and his, you know, his, his broccoli or whatever he's eating. I mean, and, and not have to go to airports and this and that. And so, and say whatever he wants pretty much. And so yeah. for me, he has a great relationship with, with Dana White, Joe Rogan does. But again, there's corporate interest now. And you just wonder, like, I don't know, but you just wonder how many times has it been the case where somebody has maybe said something to him? Hey, Joe, could you, you know, could you, would you? I don't know. I don't know. But I would imagine that that's that those factors there, like you're in front of your microphone thing. This is my show. This is our three hours. And we should be able to say authentically and honestly whatever we need to say to to bring information out but that information can ruffle feathers in corporate communities which are much more stiff which are much more traditional and conventional and which want everybody to they want they want everybody's dollar right they want everybody as a customer and so that to me is the great reconciliation and i think that that even has to happen with dana and it's kind of a tightrope and you just wonder how long does a personality a super honest blunt personality like joe rogan or dana white how long do you want to walk kind of you know be around that tightrope and navigate especially in like a in the cancel culture that we are in and we're going to let's while i'm on the what ifs uh that biden harris um ticket goes all the way to the white house and so now we have a we have a political environment where we have uh, you know, good old Joe, Uncle Joe in the White House and and his executive team running the show. Um, whereas, you know, the UFC would not have been able to do what it has done during this during this uh, um, epoch uh, of the pandemic without the president's, uh, you know, a little of the president's influence. Um, you know, his uh, White and Trump are close. They, they, he held the uh, he held the first of those fights in Florida, in Jacksonville. You know, for a reason. You know, they, well, they that, were that, minimal. That, that, that's another example of Dana White. Dana, like Dana White, being Dana White, 
people see him and they're just like, well, that's Dana White, whatever he does, like, well, that's just Dana White. But anybody else would be like, you know, you're a terrible person. Get out of here. You should be fired. You should never work again. Issue an apology through your attorney. And this is an yeah. example where, and, and I don't mean this in a negative, I'm actually saying this in a positive way where he's become such a cult of personality and, and so authentic, I guess, with who he is that people just are like, yeah, well, that's just him being him and it's okay because he's a fight promoter and he's this and he's this, but you, you're a, you know, you're a lawyer or you're a this or you're that or you're a regular athlete. And so you are not allowed to say anything that's remotely controversial, right? So right. it's just interesting how that's another example where Dana can give, he's now twice now went to the Republican National Convention. I'm sorry, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. We, no, he's at least twice publicly spoken on behalf of Donald Trump and said, Donald Trump did us a solid when we were struggling. I'm loyal to Donald Trump. Donald Trump's a great yeah. man. He said that. You would think if Goodell did that, bro, there would be revolution. Like, Goodell would be fired within a week. I mean, he'd be gone. Any of these other commissioners, you could not publicly yeah. come out and do that. Dana White, you know, and, and, and again, I'm saying that meaning I'm not saying that as a criticism, not far from a criticism. I'm saying that as in a because I actually the cancel culture thing is not I'm not in that. You know, you know that I'm not in all the political practice stuff. I, I believe that we should be. I believe that there's a lot of value in us talking through things and people being able to be candid and working through things and making progress and people disagreeing and tolerance. I'm a big fan of that. So I'm actually a big fan of people being able to be more of who they are and us working together and a huge fan of tolerance. And, and um, so, but I'm, I'm just saying that Dana is in a, in a stratosphere where people, you know, people, people like him and they accept that, Hey, that's Dana white being Dana white and let him be Dana white. It makes the, it makes the UFC show more interesting, you know, kind of like Vince McMahon, Vince McMahon and WWE. I mean, people just look at it as a different, like a different niche. It's not, it's almost like an old, you know, when you were saying something earlier, I thought of this, I thought of like, you know, you were talking about if you got a job with the federal government and toning down your social media. And I thought in some ways sports is this alternative reality for people, right? It's an alternative reality in that, I mean, the athletes, the fighters, right? They can say things. They can they can be controversial. Dana White can say things. Joe Rogan can say things. But in any other ecosystem, you get yourself fired in hot water, caught into the fishbowl. Hey, tone it down. HR would want to talk to you. So it's almost like that's part of the appeal for the public is you have some of these personalities, and especially fighters are like this, where fighters are like, hey, they're, a lot of them aren't working some other jobs. So they're saying, hey, I can say whatever I want to say as long as Dana White and, and the UFC are okay with it, then I'm okay. But if you were to say those things and you were to have a regular nine to five job and you were to say them or you were to put them on your social media the way that some of the fighters talk, you'd be you'd be fired. But in a way, that's part of the appeal of it is that the regular it's a place you can go where people, you know, sometimes they talk over the top, but people talk real. Like real like I say, real It's talk. an escapism. Yeah, fighter. Yeah, it's an escapism, but it's like it's also real talk. It's some of it's escapism when it's over the top, like Connor. But then a lot of the fighters you listen to, are like, wow, that's real talk, as opposed to the you know the, the 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 generic safe language that a lot of people have to use on their social media channels or whatever. What you got, Jordan? I, uh, yeah, let me let me touch base on that because it's real talk. It's real talk to a degree. 
to a degree, Frank. Um, I think it's, yes, it is real talk, especially if, uh, opposed to like real life. But I think if there was no fan base and there was no microphones and there wasn't like a huge backlash, if they were to say something controversial, the fighters would be, they would be saying even more crazy controversial things. You know what I mean? Like as crazy, as crazy as comments Conor McGregor has said, I think that if, if there wasn't such a political correctness in the world, he would be saying even more crazy things, in my opinion. I think he would be saying things that would be just infuriating people to, to, a, to a crazy degree. Like, there would be much more... And people may or may not agree with this, but there, there, there's always going to be these comments everywhere. And people, if there was these comments, they would get kicked out of the UFC. You know what I mean? There's very, very little homophobic comments nowadays. There's very, very little racist comments nowadays there's very very little comments like this you know i feel like if it was true 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 trash talk and these guys were just pure raw emotions no cameras no 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 pushback on like a fear about getting fired of the ufc because guys get fired from the ufc all the time dana white just fired some guy for having like a supposed like nazi lineage and he like he like hadn't he hadn't had any ties to it for like years and years and years and he's like i dropped that i'm not that's not me as a person anymore but the ufc still let him go so I, I think there's still a major fear in the fighters of, of, of watching their mouths and watching what they say and not offending people. As, as, as still, they're still saying, they're still offending people. They're still saying controversial things, but I think they're still definitely watching what they say a lot and still watching their mouths and watching their words and watching, watching what comes out of their mouths. Their, their, their words that are coming out of their mouths are not, not necessarily what's in their head, I think. But, but Jordan, if, if somebody is going to say, like, so let's take some of the examples you're talking homophobic and, you know, whatever, Nazism. I know the guy's maybe it was a distant past or whatever, but, but if something represents something that's really hateful, really mean, vitriolic, right? I mean, that, how could you want that to be associated with your brand? You have to understand anytime you enter into an agreement with an employer, they're going to have to have some expectation of, you can't, you know, hateful things, mean things, things that are really derogatory, and then, under the umbrella of their brand, they're going to have to have some rule. We, we can't all just be a free, total free, exactly. whatever we want to say. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. That's exactly what I'm saying. Yeah. That's, that's, that's I, exactly what I'm saying. Then I would, I would amend what I said to realer talk. I guess realer talk relative to... Yes, that's what I'm saying. More realer. real talk opposed to real, opposed to real life. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I mean... If you have if you have what they call screw you money, right, you know, and, and Joe Rogan is kind of in that, you know, you and I were talking about this yesterday, Noah, where, you know, it does seem like when you have you have a lot, a lot of money like that and you're eloquent, you know, you're at a piece of point where he can say a lot of things that, I mean, 99 point whatever percent can't say if they want to continue to build and, and make a living. I mean, you know, it's it's uh yeah, but but so you well, that's kind of what a stand-up comedian's life is all about as well, because stand-up comedian, a lot of the comedy, you know, if you listen to a lot of what is what Joe Rogan says and what uh, stand-up comedians talk about their you know, their stand-up comedy, it is a mass hypnosis where you take you are transported into someone else's thought process and. You're 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 brought into a situation where you look at things with that uh, uh, freedom of speech perspective to say certain things and to call out situations in life that are uh, that for whatever reason our brains 
interpret as funny. You know, I, it, unfortunately, a lot of times we get judged on what we find funny and, and humorous. But, you know, a lot of it is just it's our natural, you know, that's just a, how the brain works. You know, the brain will, you know, um, if, I'll give you an example. Um, you got, Have you guys seen uh, Joe Rogan's stand-up um, special, any of his stand-up specials on Netflix? I have not. No? Um, there's one There's one where he did it in San Francisco, the Orpheum, uh, where he was picking on the Kardashians and, and how they, uh, you know, his bit, his bit was about um, how uh, Bruce Jenner became um, Caitlyn Jenner and the influence of the Kardashians on that. And Joe does a, is a physical bit. He does a physical bit where he gets up on top of a, of a, of his bar stool on stage and he mimics like a drag. And I, I don't know what creep, what was that creature? I, it's like some kind of, it's some kind of uh, Lord of the Rings kind of creature. And, and it's just, it's just our natural sense. It's just a natural thing with our with ourselves where we have to laugh at it and because we suspend i think what happens is we we suspend our critical thinking and our social justice warrior thought process in a way um and look at it look at things from another perspective yeah, yeah and, and i would say this it and lures I you in you, i know that you didn't intend it as this but i just just for people who might watch this or see this um, I've met Joe Rogan. I've conversed with Joe Rogan and I would say my sense, and, and I know that you're not saying this, but just to be clear, the guy is not, a, you know, he's the furthest thing from a homophobe. I, I, I don't watch his podcast regularly. Or transphobe. He's yeah. not transphobic in, either. In, in, in no, fact, this is, fact, I've, I've heard many stories where he, you know, and I, I don't know what he does his podcast, but where he actually rides people that are, you know, he, He'll get on you if you're if you are a homophobe. He'll ride you on that and and, and absolutely on that. He'll be the um, first person to protect. He will. Yeah. But in in the profession of st- I'm only talking about the process. I'm not passing yeah. judgment. I, I, I'm not I, passing I, judgment I here. I know you're not. I know you're not. I, but I'm I describing a lot of people. A lot of people. The physiological process of how yeah. humor works in people. And how yeah. stand-up comedians interact with their audiences to do to cause that. I'm not. Yeah, I, I, I'm I, not trying to. I'm not trying to draw this throw shade. Confused. It's very easy for people to misunderstand. Um, but let, by the way, while we still have you, we're winding down here. You and I were talking about already. Rogan. Oh wow, right. Rogan. Rogan is moving to Austin, and we were talking about the Spotify deal. Whatever, 100 million plus, 140 million, 100, whatever it was. Um, and you were talking about the reasons it makes sense to move to California. One of them being no state tax in, in Texas. Move to Texas from California. Yeah. 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 So you're, give, give yeah I, perspective. You're a guy who spends a lot of time around, around money and finances and. Um, man, I, you know, I know I was, I, I'm just going to bounce. I'm just going to just like throw that back on you and, and say, uh, even they, I saw a clip or something where Joe Rogan realized, um, and Joe Rogan realized something, and I started to think about it, like, man, whoever his tax accountant is, 
the tax accountant just talked themselves out of a job because they they did such a good job of explaining to Joe how much state income taxes he would pay with the Spotify deal that he really, you know, the light went on. And so he's like, you know what? You're right. I don't need you anymore. I'm going to move to Texas. So I just pay federal income tax only. And um, because state income tax, if you add all that in, and if you add in property taxes and, and you know, all the other extra taxes, if you look at it, you're looking at a 50%, 50% tax rate, blended tax rate, for those kind of guys at that upper echelon. In, in, in California. In California, yeah. I'm not a tax accountant, but you know, at that level, you've just got to assume that they are paying every cent, you know, every every other every other penny, every other penny that you earn is going to the people who uh, Joe, you know, who Joe has a major disagreement with. Um but uh, anyways, yeah. Uh, so that tax kind of talked himself out of a out of a out of a client because uh, he convinced Joe to move to Austin, which is a great move. I would. I, it makes sense. I saw. I when I started hearing about Joe going to on it when he started on it, and you know, seeing how he's when he created the MMA uh, the MMA podcast series and started doing that. When the moment he did that, I'm thinking that's his way out. That's how he's going to get. That's how he's unburdening himself from the UFC. At some point, he's going to. He's working his way to freedom. His own version of what he wants. He's lifestyle designing. He's lifestyle designing to get him to the place he wants to be. Unfortunately, in Texas, what maybe it's not brought the full impact to him is that in Texas. The although Texas does not have um, an, a state income tax, they still have fantastic school districts. Those school districts have football stadiums that rival junior college and some small college uh, football stadiums. Though all that costs something, and that's in in Texas. Each school district has its own police force. Each school district has its own police force funded by those people in that school district. And in Texas, the property taxes are high. Property taxes are high in Texas mm. <clears throat> because you don't have there. You know, there is a state uh, sales tax. You know, so the state has to raise money somehow. So they raise money from a state sales tax. They raise money from property taxes. And that's, um, you know, that, that's the hidden thing. So where, you know, where you go live will impact you. I was, I know from my own experience, I was shocked. And so although the income taxes, he's going to take a break there. State income tax, the uh, property taxes, um, he needs to be careful how he spends that money. You know, um, I hope his- Jordan, Jordan, how do you, where do you think he'll train at 10th Planet down there in Austin? Who's down there? There's some guys down there. Um, I can't 
I'm blanking on names right now. I think that's I think that's Curtis Hembroft's gym. Um, I think that's the Onnit Academy, isn't it? What he's putting that he's putting his podcast studio in the Onnit Academy. That's been figured out. I went on to Reddit and a former employee of Onnit. Austin is. I, I'm not sure. What? I got to look up where 10th Planet Austin is. In my head, I, I I don't know. I don't know that much about 10th Planet Austin. I thought it might be at the Onnit Academy, but I might be wrong on that. But I'm pretty sure it's ran by this guy named Curtis Hemproff. So, yeah. I mean, you know, he's he's stacking himself into Austin pretty deep. Austin's got a great uh, tech scene. Uh, I've been applying for jobs out there uh, in Austin. It's a, cool, it's a cool city. I, I like Austin. I've been down there. I actually got to do three weeks of jiu-jitsu seminars down there in 2013. And I got the worst allergies, though. That seed, that juniper, those juniper trees down there, man, I got the worst allergies in late February, early March. Bro, it was – Jordan, you might relate to this. So I'm down there. They, you know, uh, my old buddy Donald Park got to – and I got to be down there three weeks. I'm like, oh, I'm going to be in Austin, cool town do these seminars, but then I got those allergies. And, bro, these allergies were so bad, I was bedridden. I didn't – it wasn't like just, you know, allergies. It was like I couldn't – so allergies can attack, like, your neurotransmissions, you know, like your cells and your yeah, nerves yeah, yeah. and, like, shut you down, right? Like, you don't want to do anything. You don't want to get up out of the chair. So I was like – it was like everything I had, literally, everything I had to be like, get up, go to practice – teach for three hours, roll with people too. Cause I felt like for some reason I thought I can't not roll with them, bro. It was an act of Herculean effort to go to practice, <laughs> to teach, to have enthusiasm and then roll with people too. And I don't know how that's probably one of the best jobs I've ever done in my life. But it was one of those things where it was like, dude, you got paid, you need the money. It's a great opportunity. You can't just turn around and go back to Vegas. So that was uh, that was something I remember about Austin. You probably know that, like Jordan, those days where, you know, you uh, just don't want to go because something's going on, or you're sick, or you're injured, or whatever, and you're just like, gotta go. I mean, I just that was duty. That was discipline. I did not. My body did not want to go. That was me. My inner David Goggins was like, no, 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 no. Yeah. We got- you know, in Texas, you know, down there in Austin, I, you know, I grew up in Houston, and the humidity is okay there's two things i'm waiting to see how rogan responds to that because texas has two things that california doesn't humidity and bugs so i you know he used to always throw a lot of shade on like you know ha all the west coast you know we kept going we didn't get stuck in the middle of the country and you know it's funny how now you know here he is going to texas and i'm like he doesn't know how hot Central Texas is with humidity and with the dang mosquitoes buzzing around everywhere, bugs in the house. Oh, but you know um, that'll trip you up. And I want to talk about trips. Can we talk about trips for a few, for five to ten minutes? Yeah, trips. Uh, what kind of trips. George, are we talking about here? Trips on yeah. the mat. Trips on the mat, not, 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 no psychedelic trips. I'm talking about trips on the mat. Um, okay. I've been talking to Frank and I'm like, you know, I, you know, my head and arm chokes coming along, but I got to get the guy down on the ground. And Frank said, you need to, you need a bear hug. I'm like, 
right. But I, I want, you know, I am amazed with some judo trips. You know, just the foot action. And I oh, really, I really want. Yes, yes, yes. I want to have some trips in my arsenal, you know. Um, and, and so Frank, um, Frank's going to hook me up with some, with some details, but, uh, Frank, did you want to talk about foot, uh, about trips? Yeah, so uh, just, just to build upon what you and I were saying yesterday. So one of the things that, and, and I'm sure Jordan, you know, probably agrees too. So first of all, foot trips, foot sweeps are pretty rare. You know, you see them more in judo, but, but, uh, even in MMA, they're relatively rare, right? Everybody practices them. Hardly anybody hits them in a live tournament. I was going to say, I, I, don't, I don't feel like they're very practiced. I would I don't know, yeah. especially in yeah. MMA. Well, no, I'm saying, I'm saying by the time you're a black belt, you've drilled some foot sweeps that you never, ever hit, right? You might have hit them yeah. on your kid, right? If you're playing with a five-year-old kid and you hit it on the kid or something, but very few living, live human beings have actually hit a live foot sweep in an actual tournament or an actual fight, right? There's a beautiful one I saw the other day uh, where a police officer does it, taking down a guy, and, it, and it's beautiful. But so here's the point. They're, re they're relatively rare, but when they're done, they're beautiful to watch, right? Leoto Machida had some beautiful ones. And what I was saying to you, Noah, is one thing I love about the idea of foot sweeps is that they're very high reward. And I wouldn't even say low risk because there's almost no risk. I mean, you know, the only risk would be if the other uh, guy or girl was better at foot sweeps than you or better at judo or something, right? There's really is a very, very low risk. That's one thing I love about it. If you miss the foot sweep, you know, 99 out of 100, nothing happens. You just reset and you start again, right? So I love that about it. I also love that it attacks the whole body, right? You've got this upper body action going on, and then you've got the guy. So the guy, you know, you're going, you're going after his foot, and so you're challenging his balance. So now the guy literally has to train from head to toe, which is beautiful because you're using the whole body and and you're, and you're creating more of a guessing game. And so what we were talking about, as I was talking about, I was at the park yesterday in the morning and I was, I did like two and a half hours. And one of the things I did was some foot sweep drills by myself shadowing. And one of the things that's important for a foot sweep is you need this dual action. You need upper body action, right? You need upper body torque, right? To, to manipulate the guy's upper body or girl's upper body. And then at the same time, you need the, you know, to get down that foot sweep, almost like a soccer kick, right? You need to get the timing of it down. So you really, if you're just drilling that at a park, Noah, and you were drilling kind of that torque where I'm turning in one way and then I'm kicking the foot, and and you're now at the same time, your your brain is getting used to juggling that because that throws a lot of people off. Part of the reason a foot sweep is hard is the timing has to be on point, right? And most people's timing is not really good. The other reason a foot sweep is hard is because you got to do all this stuff upper body, and then your your foot has to do this kick, and most people aren't proficient at kicking. And then even when they kick, most people in that kicking sweep motion have a very weak kick. They don't have the groin muscles. They don't have the strength there, right? Then you need a little accuracy because your foot needs to act almost like a hand and cup cup the you know the other person's foot. And one of the tricks, as we were saying yesterday, is you need to – if you're going to be good at foot sweeps, you need to be good at – inducing, forcing your opponent to step. So you choose the moment when they're going to step. Okay. So I'm, I'm turning him, I'm turning, I'm pushing him, I'm turning him and I'm creating an opportunity where I know his foot, I'm forcing him to have to plant, lift his foot ever so slightly off the ground. He be just this low. He lifts his foot just a little. And before that foot hits, my foot comes in and beats him. I beat him to the spot. 
And so that's one of the things that you're creating a little bit of air. It could be a half inch, could be an inch. And you're, you're, you're timing it. You're forcing him to take that step. He or she takes the step. And, be, and as they do, before that foot hits the ground, boom, you get that good turn there. And you get that foot, you know, that your foot becomes well over there. And you sweep it like a soccer kick, boom. And that's why I love, I love, I mean, I love the move. I've actually done the move uh, probably a couple hundred times. I've never done it live, right? Except to like my little, you know, a little, you know, uh, uh, like maybe when I was training with a, a student, you know, when I was teaching kids class or something, right? Doing it on, for some reason, I'm able to do it on like six, seven year old kids. But, um, but yeah, th th that's basically, Jordan, did you want to add anything on that? I was going to say, Noah, do you mean foot sweep or do you mean like outside trip, like a sotogari? No, no, I was just talking about the standard foot sweep. But I, I actually I, – I, I know you were, Frank. I know yeah. you were, Frank, but I was asking Noah. Oh. Um, well, I, well I, I was kind of categorizing both, including both in the conversation. I, I, okay. I know what you're talking about. You're, you're talking about the, the more of the wrestler re, – more of the wrestler um, – oh, oh, I'm trying to think. Because one, one thing I do like to do, and I was telling Noah this – I, and I have hit this, where um, where you do a foot sweep to a single leg. So you don't actually knock the guy down, right? So you get a little turn. Oh, you're you able to get the foot. Yeah, yeah, you're able to pick the leg up enough, not to throw him down to the mat, but you're able to get enough of the leg where you can then secure a single leg and then go from there. So I have done that uh, a couple times, which is something I also recommend. Yeah. But no, no, I, I love it. I, I love it. I think it's a um, again, the, the the thing that hurts a lot of people is the timing of it. You have to really drill the timing. You have to you have to force your opponent to have to take a step, and then you have to get yeah. good at. You can have great foot sweeps, right? Let's say, hey, you're you're good at getting your opponent to take the step. You're good at you know you're good at getting your foot there, right? His foot's in the air. You're good at getting your getting the foot and sweeping, but. Your, your upper body torque is lousy. Well, you're not going to take them down then. You've got to have violent, strong upper body torque. Whoop. And the, and then if you get that, if you get if you time the foot, right, you really sweep that, that foot and you get a good turn and torque, man, it's it's beautiful. It's one of the most beautiful techniques to watch. It's like what everybody's like, I, whoa. I, I, it, just the concept of it is very appealing to me because it's doing half the work. It's doing half. It's you're it's doing half the work for you because your opponent is instead of them deploying their own objectives, their own offense, they're spending so much mental energy. Time is like, Oh my, everything I do right now, this, every time I pick my foot up, every time I try to place it, I have to defend, I'm going to have to defend what this guy might surprise me with. Um, because that's a threat. It's a, it, it is. It is a little. It's bit doing like, a lot of work for me. It's doing a lot of work for me. No, it's a little bit like a head kick in this. I say this about a head kick in MMA. If if you wanted to knock your opponent out with a head kick in MMA, you wouldn't come out firing head kicks. You don't want him to be like, you know, you're firing head kicks and he's automatically he blocks it. Uh -huh. If you came out, if my opponent came out firing head kicks, I would assume that he wants to set his hands up or he wants to set up a a body, you know, a strong body kick or something like that. Um, so if you really wanted to land the head kick, you would throw kicks, you know, at the, the body, at the legs, you'd throw punches and you would, you would force your opponent maybe to move a certain direction. You would time him and then boom, you'd set him up for a head kick. The foot sweep can be like that. I've seen people that mess with your feet early 
and they mess with your feet early, but really what they want to do is maybe judo throw you, right? So they're, they're messing yeah. with your feet to get your attention on that foot sweep. They'll come it's a Trojan horse. And then, boom, they'll, they'll go into a throw. That's very common. We see that a lot. I know you see that a lot, Jordan, where somebody messes with your feet, but they're not going to be able to foot sweep you, but they're using that as a decoy to set you up to something else. So if you truly want the foot sweep itself, I would recommend going with other entries and then, boom, get the foot sweep. If, you, if you're just playing around with the foot sweep, that's fine. Hey, get him to think about his feet, and then, you know, you shoot a single leg or you shoot a throw, you know, a judo throw, because it will set him up. It, it certainly has an effect when you start messing with my feet. But if you primarily, you really want the foot sweep, I would recommend showing them a different look early on. And then, so what would be, what would you suggest so that I could do the mental priming of my opponent? You know, where they're like, where they're not thinking about the feet. What would you? What What are a couple of techniques you would suggest? You got, you got, you got to start getting some upper body pushing and get some attention. You got to be careful though, because make sure you don't go pushing too much against a judo guy. Let's say you got a judoka who's better than you. You don't want to be trying to bully push him in a, in a you know, hey, you know, that's that's not good. Like if you go so pushing. with a good judo guy and you're pushing, right? Mm -hmm. But if he wasn't a judoka and I thought, well, I'm better there, I might do a lot of pushing. You know, I might do some pushing and some bullying. But if I was dealing with a good judica, I would I would push. You know, I'd be like, I, I might I might do more lateral stuff. I might I, I might play around with some takedowns, the threat of some takedowns, um, you know, on the legs. And then, um, but yeah, it, it's it, that, that part of it's not easy, man. You, you know, it's not easy to say, but if you want the foot primarily, you don't show the foot. Like, and that's, a, that's a general principle for a lot of things. If you want some big move like that, whether it be a high kick, you know, a leg kick, you can throw 50 leg kicks and land them in a fight. You don't have to disguise that, right? But if you have a killer left hook that you want to land, you don't come out throwing the left hook all the time because he's going to be on high alert, especially if you're throwing hard, like, oh, my God. His brain's like, don't let that left hook land. If you start throwing something that's beautiful and it's hard, the human, your opponent's not stupid. Your opponent's going to be like, I'm taking the left hook. I'm taking the high kick. Mm. I'm taking the trip away from him. The problem for them is that when they're so worried about that, like you just said, it opens up other things. Now, you've got to have the game that can do those other things because now you know, hey, I got his attention here. Like, let's say even keep it simple in wrestling. In wrestling – most people like to shoot to one side more than others, right? Most people. Some people are, 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 are you know, um, they have, they're, they're ambidextrous. They can shoot on either leg. But most people prefer one leg or the other. Well, what if Jordan changes the stance and he's leading with the leg I don't like? Just that alone, right? Just that alone. Or guys, guy likes to fight conventional. Now he's fighting a southpaw. Yeah. Well, just, just that alone will trick a lot of people. They're like, damn. Hey Jordan, we stop hiding the leg I want to shoot on. Well, you got to have an answer to that. You got to know that if you got a beautiful single leg, and now Jordan's not giving me the leg I want, he's leading with the other leg. You got to you. You're going to be good. You got to have an answer for that stance, or else you're never going to land that that primary move you love. Opponents, cool. same thing with a foot sweep. Cool. Well, um, guys, it's been a it's been a great uh, hour and a half or more. Um, we've covered a lot of covered a lot of material here um last thoughts final thoughts i'll give it over to you guys i'm done give it to jordan give the jordan that we jordan you got the word give it to me. you oh, got the word close us down close us down um good podcast today guys um i'm still coming for sean o'malley i'm coming for chito vera too i'm coming for anybody in that division 
Uh, I'm sorry I was late, guys. Uh, I'm going to be right. here next week for sure. I'm sorry I wasn't here last week. Uh, I had to get my training in, you know? You got to train, it's man. You're you the fighter. <laughs> it's good to see As you guys. Always. I'm excited for next week. And I'm excited to see you guys soon, man. So have a good All day, right. guys. Happy, happy Sunday, gentlemen. Miss you guys. Happy Bye, Sunday, guys. guys. Take care. Bye. Bye. That's it for today's episode of Everyman BJJ. Thanks for listening. Look for new episodes of Everyman BJJ every week, wherever you get your podcast or at everymanbjj.com.